Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 327. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, and today we're revisiting one of my favorite best of Bossed Up conversations with Jennifer Brown. Today we're talking about how to be an inclusive leader, such an important uh, characteristic for the future-focused leader who's more interested in developing great teams, in fostering cultures of inclusion and belonging, and then frankly, reaping the rewards of those higher functioning teams as a result. Uh, You know, this is something we talk a lot about in our Level Up Leadership Accelerator, which is enrolling now for our June 1st launch date. So if you're interested in geeking out with me about leadership principles and best practices even more, definitely check that out. I'll drop a link in today's show notes. But really, today's conversation is just such an important one from the perspective of someone who knows a lot about the importance of inclusion. So let me introduce you to my guest today, Jennifer Brown. She's an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, diversity and inclusion consultant, and author. She's the founder of Jennifer Brown Consulting, headquartered in New York City, and she's responsible for designing workplace strategies that have been implemented by some of the biggest companies and nonprofits in the world. She and I actually met backstage at the Texas Conference on Women. I think it was the Texas one. Maybe it was the Pennsylvania one. Uh, but she and I just really connected as businesswomen and as entrepreneurs in this space. And I was just blown away by her story, which you'll hear more about in a moment. And she brings a really important perspective as an LGBT entrepreneur. Uh, Jennifer's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, and so much more. And she's a sought-after speaker and keynoter, as well as the best-selling author of Inclusion, Diversity, The New Workplace, and The Will to Change, as well as another book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, your role in creating cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. And she and I talk a lot about how to do exactly that. Enjoy this conversation with Jennifer Brown. I can't wait to hear what you think. Jennifer, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I am delighted to essentially continue our conversation from, where were we together? Austin? Yes, at the Conference for Women. That was amazing. Texas 9,000 Women. For women, 9,000 women. We were sort of hobnobbing there as speakers back in the day when 9,000 person conferences were a thing. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) I can't even believe that was a thing. (laughs) I know. Oh, I miss it though. (laughs) I miss it too. But we had just such a powerful conversation. I want to sort of paint a picture here. I was feeling very nervous about scaling up my business. And I remember talking to you and you taking, taking a look at me and being like, listen, 
let me tell you what I've done with my business over the past 10 years. And I left that conversation feeling very encouraged. So I just want to thank you for that. I'm really glad. I'm glad I didn't scare you. No, not at all. Oh, good. I mean, I'm glad. It's a good reminder that all of us at every stage in life and, and career, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, you know, we've got to reach out and establish new relationships with other badass leaders on the rise. So I appreciate you coming back on the pod to I think we our whole goal should be to make somebody else's path easier from what we've learned. You know, what the what's the point if we're not we're not sharing our mistakes and what took us too long to do or right? Or it's totally what's the point of it all if you can't pass it on to the next generation. So Yeah. Well I really appreciate it. It's sort of like we're accelerating the path for each other. That's right. That's right. That was I think we were sipping cocktails at a happy hour the night before the conference and we looked at each other like, listen, let me just sit down with you. Let me just tell you what's what's happened here. So <laughs> let me just level with you. <laughs> I love oh. your story though. So let's introduce your story to our listeners here at Boss Up. You did not set out to start a successful diversity and inclusion company, did you? Tell us about the beginnings. No, I did not. Oh my gosh, no. For, <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> I wish somebody had right. told me. I stumbled on it, really. But backing up, I was a nonprofit employee in my 20s. So I was very much an activist for community justice organizations in Boston. I loved that work. But mm. I was also a singer on the side. So I was doing absolutely everything I could from cover band to singing in the Boston Symphony Chorus to doing voiceover work and teaching voice and everything. And I thought, to myself, you know, I think I need to move to New York and just go for it. Like I got to see whether this is a thing. So moved to New York, got a master's in voice. Sadly, it turns out my voice is just not very strong and resilient. And I ended up having to get a couple surgeries because I injured it through the process of training. And that was that sounds super horrible. Yeah, it was horrible. And it's like a secret. You can't really tell anyone because then you feel like they're going to lose confidence in you, you know, that this happened right and they can't count on you. And so I had a lot of shame about it also. Mm. But I was just so heartbroken about it. And it just kept happening. And I just knew I couldn't beat it. So I had to walk away from it and reinvent. But luckily, I had some performer friends who had reinvented into becoming trainers in this Mm. whole field called leadership development. And I didn't know that was a thing. And I ended up getting a second master's at Fordham University in organizational development and HR. And if I were ever to be in any part of business, it was the part that I I could belong because Mm. it's all about human potential. You know, it's all about for being a trainer anyway, it's being in front of groups, you know, facilitating them on a journey right? of learning, you know, and it's very akin to being a musical performer. So I would have some HR jobs and I was an employee for a couple of years, just getting kind of my feet under me in the corporate Mm -hmm. sense. And then I was laid off from my job from Tommy Hilfiger. (laughs) Oh no. Yep. And which I didn't like working at very much. (laughs) Fashion is seems glamorous from the outside, but it's not not a good time. Known for their people work, right? Like people transformation. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't take that function seriously, I'd say. Mm. And I ended up then starting my own thing, like hanging out my shingle, 
being a subcontractor, which in our world means like basically renting yourself out as the talent. So I was a trainer Mm -hmm. for hire for several years Mm -hmm. and delivered Mm -hmm. programs um, all over the place on so many different topics and really just learned, just soaked up like all the things that were broken in the workplace, because that was all that the managers wanted to tell me about in the classroom. And in every industry, you know, every level, like I just learned so much. And I ended up forming an LLC, starting my own business. And then we pivoted to DNI from leadership, actually, because mm. of my identity as an LGBTQ woman and member of the community. I've been out since I was 22, but I'd been closeted as a performer, closeted mm-hmm. as a business owner, terrified that, you know, I wouldn't be able to make a living if people knew, you know, who I really was. And I think that that whole journey was I was an activist for LGBTQ stuff on the side of having my own company. But then I was like, yeah, if I can meld these things. I can actually be stronger as a leadership development and sort of culture consultant with my diversity lens. And one thing led to another and we sort of pivoted as specialists into the diversity, equity, and inclusion world. And I ended up learning about that world. I ended up starting to market in that, in that space. And and I think we're today, we're, I think we're one of the top firms in the field and it's just incredible work. And it's so like, the work is so real for me, you know, and it's so much fixing the workplace that I was closeted in that I never felt I could fit into. So it's just very, it's very per- personally fulfilling as sort of the leading the charge for this conversation. Yeah. And give us a sense over how much your company, the Jennifer Brown I want to say Jennifer Brown Consulting yes, yes, has it. grown yes. because I remember being a trainer for hire and <laughs> I'm five years in, six, seven years into Bust Up now. And I am so impressed by what you have built. Give us a sense of, her, of the growth that you've experienced since you started. Like 10 years. I mean, yeah. more actually, more like 12 or 13 years. The big aha moment, honestly, was I will never forget it. It was deciding to work on the business, not in the business. Mm -hmm. So in those early years, I read this book called The E-Myth, which is in its 25th printing. It's kind of cheesy. It's one of those fables, but it is like a transformative book because it basically asks you, do you want to, if you're a pie maker, like, do you want to keep making pies or do you want to own the pie shop? Like, do you want to supervise other pie makers or do you maybe want to like, like how big do you want to get? And I think... I wasn't on a power trip or anything. It wasn't for that. It was honestly, I had to make it bigger because I wanted more impact. I wanted to have arms and legs everywhere for the work. And I wanted to have, I wanted to do more than I could do just me. Right. And so I've always called myself kind of a reluctant CEO because I actually kind of don't like that role. Parts of that role I just don't like. I have to do it. And to me, it's sort of the cost of the impact that I want to have. But I do love it. I love it because I don't have to do this work alone. You know, I feel that I have this amazing team now, which is pre-pandemic, maybe we were more like 20 people. (laughs) We're a little smaller now. But I loved the day that it came true for me was like 10 years ago. I had a client who said, you know, we're doing all these trainings programs with you and your company. You don't, it doesn't need to be you that gets on a plane and comes and does this. You can send somebody else. And I, that was just a huge moment. Because mm-hmm. I thought to myself, oh, okay, now I can sell other people, which means I can work on the business, which means I can go and market and write books and kind of follow my own journey, which right. is not to be a consultant because I had done that, been there, done that, right. like 
I was honestly tired of having the same conversation over and over again. I Yeah. I think it gets demoralizing, <laughs> you know? Some of the folks on my team love those conversations and they don't, we would never want to roll like I have today. Right. Because right. where I have to do all the time now is sell and market. That's my like day job. And I actually really like it. But many people who are practitioners prefer like being technicians. They like to do the work, mm-hmm. but they don't want to be the one that hustles for to create the work and then has all the carrying costs of having a company. I was going to say, I can hear all the e-myth language in. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> My virtual CFO, who I've been working with for about six months now, is a big e-myth evangelist. Oh, and I need okay. to I need to get on that. I think I actually ordered the book and never read it. So that'll be a good... Oh, and it, you know what? You don't need, almost don't even need to read it. It's just one of those books you have the gist. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? You get it. Yeah. Like, that's the thrust. The other book I always recommend people is called Flawless Consulting. Oh, yeah. You recommended that to me and I did yeah. order it and I have been listening to it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's great. He's still, he's around. He's, gosh, he's probably in his 70s. Peter Block, just, right? Uh, no, it's actually Peter Block. Block, yeah. You maybe think Peter Drucker is another sort of management guru, but totally different. I think Peter Block is more, to me, that was the aha of, oh my goodness, like I can be a consultant and get my expertise utilized. Like that's what people mm-hmm. are buying. And I just didn't mm-hmm. know that was a thing. And the book kind of lays out, okay, so you, you finally got that client. You're sitting across the table. What do you do now? Like how do you, right. what are you solving for? How do you put <laughs> like boundaries in place? Like what are the deliverables? Mm. How do you decide together? Like literally starting from kind of a blank slate and saying like, how can I help this person mm. achieve their goal? I didn't know people were allowed to do that and people paid for people to do that. And that has been my favorite part of consulting, which was not the really the rinse and repeat stuff. It's more the bespoke work of literally going on a journey with somebody and and pulling on like a million different things, like if it's helpful for them as you go. Which going on a journey with someone is such a good parallel to theater work. I feel like it makes such sense as to why you love that. So my (laughs) entrepreneur listeners, of which there aren't too many, have just heard exactly why I love talking with you because we could talk business all day, which is amazing. I do want to talk about you're someone who was not only a trainer and consultant in diversity and inclusion, but is now created systems and structures for the rest of your team to facilitate the end goal of diversity and inclusion. And I wonder in the era of the digital workplace that we all find ourselves in, mm-hmm. if you're seeing a, a reemergence of certain diversity and inclusion concerns, problems, or, or solutions that are popping up as we all navigate our way to this new normal. Oh my goodness. There's so much actually good that's happening right now. There is Interesting. Uh, yeah. I actually think it's a quantum leap. It's an acceleration. Literally, this was gasoline on the fire of DNI. <laughs> like, awesome. If you look at certain communities and how this is impacting, it's easy to see. For example, people with disabilities. One of the biggest, two biggest derailers to getting hired is the commute. So think about that, yep. right? Yep. And accommodations in a physical workplace that don't enable you to do your best work. So now you're working from home, which is totally retrofitted for what you need. We're on Zoom calls where literally best practices that we have subtitles like going on in real time. Mm-hmm. And we also have signers and interpreters on some very cutting edge webinars that I've been on where, and I think it's incredibly affordable for corporate. Right. It's hard enough for 
small businesses to have a live signer, but it is like a beautiful accommodation. So I think that's one community. Another is the level of understanding that's being built, I think, in the heterosexual like parenting dynamic is enormous right now for emotional labor, childhood labor, parenting, household, all of it. Like the whole flex conversation, I expect to really, really change after this experience. The empathy for the work that goes into the family, right? And the sharing of duties. And I think men in particular will come back to the workplace changed. I think too, the flex that all parents are able to access right now is something people don't want to go back to the old. Right. Literally, you have like maybe two extra hours a day that you were commuting. <laughs> like, right. Right. Or you have no time to balance anything with appointments and whatever. And I've worked for myself for 10 years, you know, so if you, we know the joys of working from home. And we know that not only are we not productive, but we are actually uber productive, like that it's right enables you to work when you're at your peak, you know, when you're at your most energetic, it allows you to take breaks, which are really good for us. Like we can only sustain like our high level of productivity for a certain number mm. of hours every day. And this whole tyranny of the nine to five is, oh, I've always thought it was ridiculous. And the social pressure of being oh, yeah. able to take breaks in the workplace was not, a, you know, was so intense. It was not an option. Yeah. And then we also talk about the covering demands in the workplace for people of any kind of difference. And so Mm. I do think also the virtual world is enabling us to show up, I think, as more more purely like ourselves and our work product and Mm. maybe not so much our physical appearance in the workplace, right? That we're Somehow, the the whole process feels more democratized to me, but at the same time, it's also very invasive for some of us, like having our homes on display, having our same-sex relationship on display Mm. that we weren't out about. There's a lot of disclosure right now that we don't have any choice with. And I think that's like good and bad, right? But it's... I like to focus on the good because I think it's building a deeper level of trust. (laughs) I like hearing about the good because I feel like there have been quite a few headlines saying women's labor is at home magnified right now. And yeah, that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really hard. I mean, parents are really struggling right now with homeschooling. And I think the other thing we need to really think about is, you know, revising performance expectations Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future, you know, like whoever was your go-to person all of a sudden is homeschooling three children under, under the age of 10. Like that's a big shift for them. And how empathetic do you need to be to make sure you're reallocating work, to make sure that you're flexing Mm -hmm. around somebody's needs and that they don't suffer the consequences in terms of performance review, right? Like I think we have to change the whole criteria and the whole system. Now, if you're a middle manager and you believe in that and you're saying, yes, that's definitely, you know, we can't expect perfection in a pandemic. <laughs> Ooh, that's a How line. would you navigate that conversation? <laughs> like, let's say you want your direct reports to feel like they don't need to deliver perfection to get a good performance review. And let's say you've got to have that conversation with the higher ups who are less empathetic, perhaps, because they yes. don't deal with these people directly on a day-to-day basis. Mm. I wonder as a leader and as a manager, what navigating that challenge looks like. Well, I think you have to be an advocate for your people and your colleagues. It's not just the leaders. It's not just a manager of the team. It's literally for each other as colleagues. Mm. To practice inclusion right now means that we 
we, we don't just brush our differences under the rug in the pandemic, that we actually are talking about what's easier and what's harder for some of us right now. And that has always been a bit of a third rail, like pre-pandemic. I didn't ask you about what, hey, what is it like to be an LGBTQ person? You know, do you, do you feel like you're still in the closet with our clients, you know? <laughs> or what does it feel like to be Black here when there's not a lot of other Black associates? That conversation's always been difficult. But right now, there is a level of, I think, truth and transparency that we, that we can actually truly be interested in each other and learning about each other's lives and saying, I want to know because I want to support you. And mm. if you have any level of comfort right now, like I know I'm so privileged in this pandemic, no mm -hmm. kids that I'm homeschooling, quiet, a good internet signal. I'm still able to be in business, which is not the story for a lot of people. I don't have first responders <laughs> in my family. I don't right. have those who are at risk every single day within my sort of loved one circle. And so there, or I don't deal with like mental health challenges, like, right. and many other people are very, are struggling right now. So when I think about so many ways that like I can shape around other people's needs right now, and I can mm. be that overflow person if we were to sort of reallocate tasks and responsibilities and kind of flow, work with people's flow right now, that should be every manager's job. Yes. Then you need to feed that back up to senior leadership to say like, we may not be getting the same amount done, but perhaps we are, but we're getting it done in a different way. Or mm. perhaps the same work doesn't need to be done in the same right. way. Like we're in yeah. a whole different world. So yeah, I think that, but you've got to build trust with people in order that they will tell you how much they're struggling. I mean, that's the trick. And I think that's mm -hmm. something that a lot of leaders aren't so great at doing that. <laughs> I just hosted a series of trainings on creating psychological safety and taking care of your people psychologically so that they'll take care of you, right? And your team. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's absolutely correct. Like building trust is paying off for some managers and bosses and teams right now mm -hmm. and not having invested in building trust or just not having the commitment to building trust has really cost a lot of teams greatly right now. Yes. And and leaders are still trying to lead in an old way and it's not yeah. it's not resonating and it's not even effective. And you just lose right. credibility. Like if you're Absolutely. not able to really flex into this new, I would say more empathetic, more vulnerable, more transparent, yep, more flexible style where you prioritize the person and not just the task. That yes. hasn't been our definition of leadership. And that hasn't been what we've rewarded in the past. You know, so it's nobody's fault. It's more that we all sort of, yeah. to me, like work to the test. <laughs> but mm -hmm. meanwhile, we were capable, I think, of a lot more. A lot of us, men and women, this is not a gendered thing. Definitely. And I think it's like making empathy and taking care of your people's well-being a business imperative. Exactly. That's what I'm hearing from exactly. you. I want to talk more about difference because I love what you're saying about this being a time where we don't brush differences under the rug. And I think a lot of folks, especially white folks, especially folks with privilege, get pretty squeamish about acknowledging and talking directly about differences in a way that doesn't feel offensive. So I wonder if you have any pointers on that front. Like, how do you approach a colleague of color or a LGBTQA colleague when you are very much not and say, hey, what's it like being gay right now? <laughs> like, how do you have that conversation? No, it's super weird. You, you... 
You modeled it very effectively, but I do wonder if we could speak to that more because I'm sure even the most well-intentioned folks can come across as completely ignorant when attempting this. Yes, ignorant or intrusive. Yes. Squishy or whatever. Trust takes time to build, right? So we all have to remember that perhaps your first attempt is not successful, but that doesn't Mm. mean that you shouldn't keep trying, right? I'll say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the powers and the questions, the powers and if you're a leader and you do icebreakers and you do check-ins with everybody, I mean, the question might be, you know, how, how are you feeling? But also how is this situation impacting your loved ones? Yeah. Tell us about who's in your family unit and who's in your loved one unit, right? Which actually broadens it out beyond like a quote unquote hetero nuclear family and Mm -hmm. acknowledges that people may be a grandparent raising their grandkid. They may be the primary caregiver for a kid, you know? I mean, there's just so many things that people don't bring to work about their Mm -hmm. lives. I would tell leaders also that you have to go first and you have to be vulnerable first to set the tone. And this is an exercise for all of us to say, don't gloss over things. Like don't make the best of it. Like don't think, oh, I can't demotivate my team. If I'm feeling demotivated, I have to show up as this like unassailable leader. I think this time also is the time to be real. And if you open that door and you do it in an authentic, real way, over time, people will walk through the door with you. Oh my gosh, were you on my training last week? Because that's exactly (laughs) what I said. I was like, do not sugarcoat this pandemic, people. (laughs) Don't sugarcoat it. Be real with people. I like to be an optimist, but this is not the time to find the silver lining in things. Like this is actually the time to validate fears and pain and frustration and exhaustion and depression by saying, I feel with you. I'm right there with you. And while we might not share the exact same experience... I can tell you, I'm feeling a part of what you're feeling as well and modeling that. Somebody said on one of my calls, leaders are people too. Yeah. And somebody asked the question, how are we supporting our leaders? And like turned it around. And I just love that because I mean, leaders are super terrified and uncertain and nothing is working in the way that they might have, like Marshall Goldsmith's book says, what got you here won't get you there. Yes. I mean, all the tools that used to work, all the levers you used to pull don't generate the same results. And not yeah. only that, you don't even know what results you're you're trying for. Right. Like, so I think, and everybody's family's impacted. You know, I think to assume privilege right now is, again, like I've never really liked... I've, I've been on my guard to kind of look at a group, a room full of people that look like they have privilege and make that assumption. And, you know, I always try to hold myself accountable because I don't want somebody looking at me and assuming that I'm not an empathetic person. And I know as I walk through the world, if people don't know what I do for a living and they don't know I'm LGBTQ because I can pass, they make a lot of assumptions about me. Some of which, right. by the way, are, are true because I actually am a person of tremendous privilege from a... Right. family perspective and lots of ways, but there's just so much we don't know. And I, I just really encourage people to just check themselves on that. And, Mm -hmm. and I think privilege is, is reorienting itself in this pandemic because it is about with small kids at home or no kids at home. Like whoever thought of that as a privilege before, but it is, it's a major, you know, what else is going to be a privilege is who has immunity and who doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, or just chronic illness or, or, yeah. yeah immunosuppression, you can't tell that upon first glance. LGBT people are being impacted um, of a certain generation by this because LGBT people have a 50% higher tobacco usage. And so from a lung health perspective, and also LGBT people don't trust doctors. And so they're actually under 
diagnosed. <laughs> so anyway, like it's just really fascinating kind of to dig into each community. When you do this work, you have to realize like every community has like different dynamics going on. And it's really very important to be an inclusive leader. You need to know a little bit about like some core identities that aren't your own and make sure right. that you have those statistics and you understand like what is different for certain communities right now. And I think the media is doing a relatively good job of shedding light on those differences. Yes, I know my God. local NPR station, thank God, and the New York Times have done a lot of reporting on the racial inequities in care. And oh gosh, I would also be interested in looking at the rural urban division around broadband service. Because my in-laws, shout out to Gail, who's a loyal listener of this podcast. <laughs> my in-laws until very recently, they live in rural New York state did not have like internet, cable internet until very recently. And I can't imagine how difficult it would be to navigate this new normal without it, right? And also going home is not a safe place for some people. Mm. So whether it's schools and school lunches or college where people could be out and they weren't out in their tiny farm town, right? So home is not always the safe place. So we have to also really remember that, you know, workplaces in some cases are very, very like somebody's safest place. And I, yeah, I always have to check myself too, that I'm, again, I have enough room to spread out in my own home, but particularly for young people right now, it's just a, it could be a potentially very difficult thing. Yeah. And I think as leaders now more than ever, kind of like how, how uh, teachers were interventionists and equality activists in their day-to-day -day provision of services to their students. Like as leaders, we can help create, even if it's just psychologically or digitally, safe space for all of our team members That's and right. try to do what we can to not be another, another stressor in their lives. Oh my gosh, right? What can I do to support you today? I would say yeah. also check in, don't just do the group thing, like make, you know, prioritize the one-on-one -on -one check ins right now more than ever. Totally. And give the space too for introverts for no screen time. If people are feeling screened out, like be sensitive mm. to I mean, sometimes people don't want to look at themselves. They have physical appearance issues. Like it's not a happy thing to constantly be on video. Maybe they're having a really bad day. Like there's also I just think all those things we might expect all for one and one for all, let's all get on video. And like, I've even heard some companies requiring it. And I just like, no, you can't do this to people. <laughs> it's another form of exclusion and it's uncomfortable. I was just in a virtual conference where I was, I got to be an avatar all day. I didn't see myself all day, but I was able to like walk around and, and it was just such a relief. <laughs> it yeah. was strange. Like the, the sort of, it's very subtle, but I felt, I found it really liberating. So just like ponder that, like think about, watch your level of exhaustion and yeah. pay attention to your own energy, but also don't, the rule of inclusion is like, don't assume everybody's is looking through your lens mm. and every single thing. Think about the platinum rule is due unto others as they would have you do unto them. Right. Like the shift in sort of orienting yourself around somebody else's viewpoint and definitions and not your own is like that very first and very important step for inclusion work. That's a really great point. And, and maybe even trying to include, at my company, we're trying to include all team members in decision-making around how we do what we do right now. Awesome. Like how we do what we're doing now and, and what this new normal looks like and what works best for us involves a ton of experimentation. Mm -hmm. Some days better than others. 
<laughs> and right? don't make don't make perfect the enemy of the good right now. Right. <laughs> Have a growth mindset. Go read Carol Dweck's book. That's another classic. Yeah. Growth Absolutely. mindset. Fail forward. Big, big fan. Uh, make it safe to experiment. Yeah. I mean, this is the time. I feel like when chaos happens, the 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 script gets thrown out. And it's a great time to be step forward, be seen and heard in a new way, get some visibility, take leadership, experiment. You know, I think there's a lot of opening right now. And mm. there's there's we could actually we have an opening to change things, I think, for the future right now that we we couldn't have, we could not have manufactured the, right. a better chance. Yes, I agree completely. Jennifer, thank you for bringing your perspective, so your welcome. wisdom, your your sort of perspective and in, in terms of your optimistic take on this while also keeping it real. I so appreciate <laughs> that. You. And I know our listeners appreciate it as well. Where can the Bossed Up community follow up with you if they want to learn more about your I work? I love it. Okay, so I have two books. The first is called Inclusion. The second is called How to Be an Inclusive Leader. And they're both on all kinds of online, like Amazon and everything. So please go check it out. There's a inclusive leader assessment that you can take for free. If you want to get some pointers on kind of where you are in the continuum that is the core model of the second book. So you can go to jenniferbrownspeaks.com and find a link for that assessment. I also have a podcast called The Will to Change, which is in its third year. Yeah. And then let's see what else we have. We have some diversity, equity, and inclusion foundations courses coming up. There's one launching late June and it's an online course taught by our consultant team who are amazing. And it's a good investment if you're sort of getting started on this journey and you just want to get a hold of the language and get your feet under you and kind of get oriented. So that information will be coming out soon if you join our mailing list, which is also at jenniferbrownspeaks.com. And then let's see, I am on all the social platforms. So for Twitter, I'm at Jennifer Brown. Instagram is at Jennifer Brown Speaks. And then, of course, we're on LinkedIn and Facebook. So those are really great places. We're very, very active. So definitely check us out there. Great. I will drop links to all of those wonderful resources in our show notes today. Jennifer, thank you again for joining me here. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. To get all of the details and links to everything that Jennifer and I were speaking about today, head to bossedup.org slash episode 327. That's bossedup.org slash episode 327. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. I want to give a shout out to an incredible job search client of mine named Chanel. After years of, frankly, languishing in a really underpaid policy analyst role in a nonprofit in DC, Chanel and I had the pleasure of working together through Hired or Job Search Accelerator to really get her career back on track and more aligned with her lifelong leadership ambitions and her passion for education policy. And after months of hard work to fine tune her job search strategy and assets and calling on her resilience to see her through round after round after round of interviews with two companies that were after her, just last week, Chanel finally accepted a total dream role working for a nationwide education nonprofit in a position that's going to magnify her impact in a huge way. And get this, after we teamed up to really practice her negotiation prep, she was able to get their offer, their initial offer up and increased her salary by 69%. That's nearly double what she was making before. That is a life-changing pay bump. 
congratulations, Chanel. We are all so proud of you. We are rooting for you. We're cheering you on. And this is frankly a well-deserved result. After months of hard work, it totally paid off. I'm so proud of you. If you've got a boss move to share, don't hesitate to call it in or write it in or send me a voice memo. Or in the meantime, I'll just keep shouting out to incredible women in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. Because keep in mind, you really never know who you're inspiring when you dare to share your come up story. So congrats again, Chanel. We're so proud of you. And now I want to hear from you. What did you think about my conversation with Jennifer? How can you integrate these best practices to become a more inclusive uh, leader who's cultivating a culture of belonging? Let me know by tagging me on social media, sharing on social media at Emily Aries or at Bossed Or as always, let's keep the conversation going in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. It's the best place to be to keep in touch with our community, to keep sharing, to keep weighing in, and to keep chiming in in response to the latest episode. I hope to see you there. In the meantime, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb.